HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tending to You. Tending to You provides mobile bartenders and waitstaff for private events in the greater Houston area. Learn more at tendingtoyou.com. That's tending, the number two, and the letter u.com. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. Opening a restaurant is like a giant test, made better if you grasp what a great opportunity it is. You have a chance to expand your experience and try new ideas, but also to embrace training and build a team for a shared vision and goal. For me, that is the most satisfying part of the whole equation. That quote comes from David Kinch and rings true to today's episode about teams. We first chatted with Ben and the team behind Giant Chicago and now Chef's Special Cocktail Bar on January 14th in the midst of their staff training. As you'll soon hear, one of the key reasons why they opened Chef Special was to provide new growth opportunities for their team, including bringing over new partners from Giant, Aaron, Tom, and Chase. So today we get to catch up with Chase. She is the GM, beverage manager, and partner um, of Chef Special, and we'll talk all about opening and now reopening of the restaurant. So first we'll listen into that conversation from back in January. You guys were giving us a wrap up of where you are in training. Is there, is everyone actually hired, or are you still looking for people? No, everybody is hired. Uh, we are, yeah, we're in the we're in the midst of training staff. Yesterday was the first uh, first tasting of of the menu, um, kitchen kitchen cooking the actual dishes, and the front of the house uh, having their first taste. 
and how how did it go? <laughs> uh, it went really well. It was you know it's a it's an opening and construction is still happening and power is being turned on and off and oh. gas is being uh, you know turned on and off and equipment's coming in and out or whatever. So considering all of that uh, that the that everybody was ready to to sit down and and taste and that everybody was ready to put food up and send it their way uh, right on time was was pretty, uh, felt really good. So this is actually your second opening, right? So how does this compare to Giant? Were you in the same state when you guys were opening Giant or do you have, you know, more time this time or less? Some things are the same. The biggest difference is that my partner's, Jason Vincent and Josh Perlman and and myself, we were we were the principal actors uh, and decision makers and planners and uh, and what have you for the for the last one at Giant. Whereas this time we're we're kind of one one step removed. We've we've empowered uh, people who worked with us at Giant to be a woman named Chase Bracamontes is going to be the general manager here uh, and. Two phenomenal cooks named Aaron Cabot and Tom Scudari are the the co chefs here, and so they're uh, they're in the thick of all that stuff that we were in the thick of last time, and we're we're present and we're we're doing our best to to help and guide and uh, do whatever needs to be done. But uh, how long? That's that's the biggest difference. Ben, how long do you, do you guys a lot for training? Like when did you when did you start bringing people in, paying them? And, and and kind of give us a a rundown, I guess, of um, what training looks like. Are you are they sitting in a classroom <laughs> environment for the first two days and learning everything about the culture, or um, do you throw right into like walking around the floor and talking about how you're gonna serve a table? I don't know. <laughs> it's been uh, a, a long little, time a since I've gone of, through training. A little training. bit of both for for front of the house training. Uh, there's a lot of information that needs to be portrayed and for everybody there are certain things where everybody just sits down we we spend a long time talking about the kind of culture that we want to have here um like we had a we had a big hr day and just kind of a you know how are we gonna how are we gonna talk to each other how are we gonna talk to the public and all that kind of stuff um talked about health care we talked about benefits and so those sorts of things are everybody sitting down and having conversations and receiving information and what have you um, but certainly for the, for the back of the house, for the, for the kitchen, most of, most of the information is, is kind of hands-on. Like we're, we're learning how to cook a thing so that we can, so that we can cook it and give it to somebody, um, for first in small quantities for, for the tastings that we talked about, uh, for the servers, uh, and then immediately into kind of larger scale prep so that we can be ready to be live in a week. Right. Ben, how do you and Jason and Josh sort of divvy up the training? And I know you said you're a little more revo- removed, excuse me, than you were with Giant. But how do you guys kind of divvy up managing that the training? The training schedules themselves are uh, listed in impressive detail by um, by Chase and Tom, Tom and Aaron, uh, like kind of down to the minute. Um, so like they're making kind of the executive decisions about, uh, schedule training and timing and all that sort of stuff. And, but between J 
Jason, Josh, and myself, uh, in terms of divvying it up, we're, we're, we're just kind of making ourselves wholly available. And having, having done this before, we're, you know, we're offering to take on things that, that got to do. There's just so many, you know, you've got to, there's all sorts of city permitting things that, that Jason has the most experience with. And so he's done a lot of, uh, taking that on. There's, there's communicating with, um, He's brought, he's brought, for the record, he's currently brushing it off with much humility. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, and, you know, like, the the alarm guy was here installing stuff, and that's the thing I had done at Giant, so I kind of, you know, handled communicating. And, you know, none of it's necessarily crazy hard or complicated. Some of it it is, I suppose, but, but a lot of it's just kind of like there's just more than any one person can keep, uh, keep straight and keep organized and so so dividing it amongst people uh it's helpful so people are just kind of the the trio chase tom tom and aaron uh made a big punch list about uh two weeks before we were ready to actually move into the the space um and get uh uh and get working in the space itself they made a big punch list of all the stuff they had not uh, gotten done yet, and we're like, we could we could use a hand with the following things, and so uh, Jason, Josh, and myself just kind of like, I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this, um, right. but there's no just all hands on deck. It sounds like basically everyone everyone's moving towards the same goal. Sure. So when did you guys actually get in the space to start training? A week and a half ago, a we got into the space. So basically, you'll do you'll do two and a half weeks of training, and then it's friends and family, or what is um, what does that timeline look like? So Saturday is our first our, is our first friends and family. We're going to do three of them, and they're going to uh, kind of ramp up incrementally from from one day to the next, culminating in the last day where it's our biggest quantity of people. And then that night, we're going to open up uh, the late night menu for for realsies. And then what happens? At that point four, we'll just be open. Sorry to interrupt you. What happens if night two is a disaster? Night three is okay, but you're not ready to open. Do you wait another night? Do you push it and go? Um, I mean, these they're all they're all uh, bridges to be to be crossed when the time comes. <laughs> I don't I don't know that there's one that there's one answer. I mean, ho- hopefully, hopefully we're setting ourselves up so that it's just not a not a possible scenario, but. Um, and we don't but think entertaining it's... it for a second. Yeah. Uh, no, you don't. You don't open. I, th- I think uh, we believe in your success. I, I, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're rooting for it to go all like, okay. We're just um, wondering if there is a plan B. I always like to look at you know what happens if. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think our our it's not so much a plan or a strategy. It's just like a, it's a philosophy. Like we're not we're not going to open open our doors and serve the public something that we're not stoked about. Right. Um, so we're we're doing everything we can between between now and then to uh, make sure it, it doesn't happen. But if somehow we get to night two and three and we're and we're you know ripping our hair out in frustration, then then yeah we're gonna uh, we're gonna regroup and and you know there's there's no way that we're gonna let the public walk in here and have a and knowingly let them have a, a lousy time. Right, Ben. Uh, going back a little bit, um, what kind of things also fall into training 
um, that, that are more important now, given the climate of the industry, like um, sexual harassment training? Are, are there things like that that go into your training process? Yeah, for sure. We spent we spent a, a a lot of time kind of just thinking of thinking of everything along those lines that we could that we could bring up and and put on the table and and make transparent. We we because of the size of the place, we have to we have to use a, a larger payroll company than we were used to, and that payroll company comes with like a standard HR booklet and and what have you. And so we we read through it, and and it's it's fine and it it covers a lot of the you know this is this is how taxes work and this is how you know paid time off works and that that's all well and good but but we we had a lot of um conversations spearheaded by by chase who's going to be the general manager here um about what what more we needed to do and what other conversations uh that aren't in kind of the the corporate handbook what other kinds of conversations we needed to have and what tools are uh, our employees need to have at their disposal when they're, because it's another big difference between this place and our last place is that this one's a bar, um, and so it's it's late night and there's alcohol and there's different kinds of scenarios that could that could potentially arise that are just less less likely or at least less frequent in a you know in a sit down restaurant, um, and we want we want to make sure that the guests are happy and safe and having a good time but we also you know our our employees are kind of our um you know first first benchmark as far as safe safety and and happiness and uh well-being with a capital w right and now that you have two places is there things that you're seeing happening during training with you know chef special that you're like oh we need to implement this at giant or vice versa yeah i I'd like to think so. I think we're still we're still absorbing it. Everybody, we're really we're really lucky in a bunch of ways over at Giant, and almost our entire opening crew is still intact. That's impressive. Um, some of them were were coming up on four years, and some some have left and, and and come back to us. So so short answer, yes. There there are definitely things that that we're you know we're we're diving into stuff deeper than we have before, and so we're learning stuff, and so we always want to make that. Uh, any kind of new new knowledge we have, we want to make that available to to everybody, um, or new strategies that we have to keep them happy, or uh, feeling feeling safe and secure about their jobs and their well being and and what have you. But uh, but yeah, we've known them for a long time, and it's also a smaller staff, so it's like we it's a it does it doesn't feel like okay guys sit down we're gonna tell you how this works it's just kind of a continuing conversation there which i which i hope will happen in the new spot as well but it'll be uh just different by by nature of uh everybody being being uh everybody being new and just there being so many more of them just uh how, so tell us the difference in the sizes and you know about the, di- the the different size of the restaurants and how much how much staff you have at each one Giant has about 20, 24, 25 uh, full-time employees. It's, it's about double here. It's about wow. 50. Um, so you guys more than – you tripled in size, basically, by opening this new restaurant in terms of the size of your overall company. That's that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of yeah. 
Yeah, that's exciting. Very exciting. And so, you know, even before we get to training, we have to hire people. So, you know, we probably should have started with that. Where did you find the staff for, for Chef Special? And um, what did you learn between opening the two of, of where to find people? Well, I'll start, I'll start with Giant. Uh, pretty, much, pretty much the entire opening team of Giant uh, front and back were all people that either Jason, Josh, or myself had worked with before. Um, so they were they were some of them were new to one another, but but they were all familiar to someone uh, there, which was which was a really comforting uh, way to start. Um, and so moving moving forward to this place, we kind of I guess the biggest the one of one of the big reasons why we uh, decided to do another restaurant is because we had we had great we had great staff and we wanted to give them an opportunity to to do stuff to to keep to keep growing beyond uh, I don't want to say beyond what Giant can offer because I like think the Giant can offer a lot but um, but we had we had our kitchen kitchen crew any of whom could have been the chef of a place and so so by moving two really really serious people out of there and giving them this space uh to start their own new umbrella with uh it allowed it allowed us to give promotions to to at least four other people at giant so that they could step up and start start uh carving that place and in the way that they want to Cool. Um, we're going to wrap up, but give me one more time, kind of like a, a quick punch list of what's on the docket um, left in training before you guys are ready to open the doors. Uh, what's left on the docket for here? For here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign. Help, help, SOS. <laughs> they split the, split the menu tasting into three days, so tonight will be, tonight will be day two. I think there's still... There's still a lot of cocktail training to to happen, wine training to happen. The parts of the dining room are still being assembled, so I'm, I assume there's going to be some, uh, you know, active role playing in terms of getting servers to tables and, um, yeah, just how 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 bodies are going to flow through the space. Just there, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of like active active practice left to happen, but. Or organizationally, I think we're, we're on we're on track. We're, we're uh, firing on firing on all cylinders. But um, you'll get a lot done in four days. We have we have the utmost yeah. faith, and friends and family will not be a disaster. But we will find out <laughs> when we check back in with you. Um, so yeah, so this was a great you know great overview. Great to hear where you are. Great to hear what you have left. Um, congratulations Congrats, on yes. number two and we'll i'm excited to to hear how it all went so we'll talk to you in a couple months this episode is brought to you by tending to you tending to you provides mobile bartenders and wait staff for private events in the greater houston area their dedicated and capable team specializes in traditional sit-down gatherings, past appetizer service, buffet-style meals, and bartending refreshing customized cocktails and beverages. 
They provide all their own tools needed for a pop-up bar, including drinkware, garnishes, napkins, and more to be set up for success. They also come equipped with trays, gloves, and cleaning products, which allows Tending to You to provide a superior level of service. Learn more at tendingtoyou.com. That's tending, the number two, and the letter u.com. So tell us, it's been six months, I think, since our first conversation um, with, with Ben, and it's like nothing's happened. Nothing's changed, right? Is the opening smooth? No hiccups whatsoever? Yeah, no. Everything went <laughs> super successful. We're just, yeah, soaring. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you guys actually get opened the first uh, time? It was like maybe January 21st, somewhere around then, like late January, but we had a solid week and change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, went really hard basically through the middle of March. <laughs> through the middle of March and yeah. then you and then you guys shut so tell us a little bit about like the opening when we first talked you guys were in the midst of doing staff training um you were about to you're preparing for friends and family and you know getting your team all ready um so how was that process you know did it go smooth were the things that changed from when you first opened in January to when things stopped in March uh, yeah, so it was, um, it was pretty wild. So we went through training, we felt like we were really organized, we had it together, we had this great team, we felt really confident. Um, we did friends and family, and it was like super smooth. Uh, and we were like, yeah, we're gonna, we've got this, we're gonna kill it. And then we opened our first night, and we got crushed. <laughs> And friends and family, it turned out, was just, like, too smooth. It was too easy. It was too planned out, you know? It's like we needed more curveballs, and we needed to almost, like, overwhelm ourselves more during friends and family because it was, like, uh, a dress rehearsal, but everything was in place, and it was just way different than being live. So the first two nights were, like, crazy. I mean, we had a really long shift because it went into full dinner service, from full dinner service into full bar service until two in the morning. So we had like a rotation of four bartenders coming in. Like you come in to set up, then you come in and set up the next well. Then at seven o'clock when it gets busy. So we didn't have our third bartender coming in until like seven, but we were super packed right out the gate. So then I went right behind the bar and just started working that well immediately until they came back. And uh, yeah, it was like super crazy really the first two months, but those first days were kind of funny because I think we were all like puffed up chests, like, oh yeah, family, friends and family was so good. Um, (laughs) But it was like, we kind of got a reality check in a good way. And it was also funny because we had all these systems in place and then we realized a lot of them didn't work (laughs) like immediately. We were like, okay, everything we went over on day four, we're not doing that anymore. Now we're doing this. And we just had this awesome team that was, like, ready to adapt and ready to listen and, like, knew that it was, like, sink or swim and that if we had to change things, we had to change them really fast to make it successful. And even though some of our preparation, um, you know, kind of went out the window, I think it set the foundation for us, like, talking as a team, thinking critically, um, following through on a plan. So when it had to change, we just had that practice in place and it made a the ability to change a lot smoother. 
since this is a episode on training, would you, how would you change it for the next spot? I mean, I assume that, you know, when things, um, improve that there'll be opportunity for, for growth and, and perhaps another one, would you change the way you trained? Would, how do you, you know, how do you incorporate a more sporadic or heavy hits rather than the planned out, uh, friends and family like you did? Yeah, I think that I would have, as far as like the training went, um, I think we did a really great job and I do think it's the kind of thing where it's like, you're not exactly sure how it's all going to play out. And this concept was so different than what we were all coming from. We were coming from a 45 seat, just restaurant open five days a week, um, you know, with barely a cocktail program and heavy wine service to hundred seats. Um, seven days a week until two in the morning with like a robust three well cocktail bar. So it was, it, it was a lot to have to kind of anticipate. And I think at some point you just have to like make a choice and go through and then just drill from the very beginning that things might change and we got to be flexible. And as well, as long as you like set that expectation, I think you're in a good place with your staff. And you have to demonstrate that you're not getting like overwhelmed and flustered when those things happen because they're going to take your lead if you're like freaking out. Right. But for friends and family, I definitely would have just overbooked us, you know, because the friends and family would have understood anyway. They knew it was a trial run. So even if we kind of messed it up, that would have given us an opportunity to feel just under the gun a little bit more. Right. How, how did this, so you talked about like, you know, changing plans and coming together to understand that. How did that prepare you and shift due to COVID and what kind of like retraining and retooling have you guys done? Yeah, it kind of trained us well, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. In some weird way, the fact that we did have to really adapt and change quickly right as we opened, um, prepared us to have that kind of loose gaze and ability to be mobile and flexible and understand that we're working towards the same goal and that there's only so much that you can anticipate. And then it just got, you know, magnified by a thousand when this all happened. So as we were kind of talking about bringing people back, how we were going to incorporate everybody, um, it kind of just felt like, all right, well, we're just going to do the opening again. <laughs> and we done it once, so this is a piece of cake, you know? Like, we all know how to work together and troubleshoot and, like, figure stuff out. So now we just have to use those tools to this, um, you know, this setting. Where are you guys now? What's what's happening with the um, with Chef Special at the moment? Is it an outside scenario only? What's going on there in Chicago? Yes, so we first opened with takeout maybe like five weeks ago, six weeks ago. Um, and then a week and a half ago, we opened our patio. So we just have five tables out there. Um, it's pretty low key, but it feels nice to have kind of like a service um, and people around. But of course, it's super different because uh, we have all these different safety measures in place. And ours are very unique because we really tried to play the hand that we have and utilize our building. 
So our building has these really cool, like, street level windows along the sides that are like arced on the top and the windows open to each of them so where our patio is we kind of lined up all of the tables with one of the windows and that's like our drop-off point so no one ever goes outside so that none of the servers um have to be face to face with people as they're eating or drinking and they have their masks off so we just drop a tray with the food. We pop our heads out the window and say like, hey, how's it going? We give them a hand sanitizer for the table. We lay out fresh plates. We explain like all of our dipping sauces, basically all through this little window. Um, so it's pretty funny and kind of cute and ridiculous, but it really works. <laughs> <laughs> are, how are, are the guests receptive? Are they just excited to be, are they like, this is cool or just you know have this funny little window or is it is it like weird and awkward um i think a little from column a and column b like yeah <laughs> i think for the most part they're receptive we've definitely gotten a lot of positive feedback which is like meant a lot because it felt like a lot of pressure with the reopening of like how can this work like how do we create jobs yet have mm -hmm. something be minimal contact um you know, and not be completely electronic and keep it safe. Um, and where is like that line where it's, it, where it's, where it feels okay, where it's something that we don't feel like we, we feel good about as good as you could, I guess. It's not like you feel great about it. It's still kind of, you know, odd. How has the, um, how's the menu changed both for food and for drinks? I feel like um, aside from, you know, the way that you're putting food out, but also in everything down to like the pricing and, and the way that it reads to, to people coming in or not coming in, coming to the window. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, we scaled the menu back a little bit just cause it was pretty large and obviously the, the volume is a little bit different. I mean, it's just different cause most, a lot of it's takeout too, since we do Chinese American, that's been really great. But uh, we kind of made it like the hit. And then since it's summer and we have the, we have access to really great vegetables, we have like a new corn dish that's like wok tossed with chili butter and we had asparagus. So we have some more like seasonal greens and other veggies that we didn't have in like the fall and winter or wouldn't have in the fall. Um, and then cocktail wise, Illinois passed and the city of Chicago passed. Uh, a cocktail to go program like right after we started takeout um mm -hmm. thanks to cocktails for hope which was um julia momase's kind of initiative to get that going from kumiko and that was really helpful i think to the whole industry and definitely to us and it's it's actually pretty fun if you get food to go then you have your little drinks it's like a different experience and it's only going to last for this blip of time um, hopefully this ends and then, hopefully. you know, <laughs> if that goes away, it'll be like a funny memory associated, um, with this time when you were just picnicking and drinking cocktails out of little glass flasks all summer. You guys have quite a focus on, on the bar. I mean, it's called Chef's Special Cocktail Bar. And like, when you look at your website, the bar section is featured just as prominently as, as the food. And so I'm curious how that, like, business model has sort of shifted now that diners aren't sitting there and aren't sitting around the big, big round bar. And how, how has that sort of changed in, in terms of like, you know, the actual like PL too? Well, the first weeks that you weren't able to sell cocktails, it definitely felt like 
Like, I was happy to be back, but being, like, a bar person and, like, a cocktail wine person, it was, you know, a little sad and different feeling to not be able mm-hmm. to really sell it or talk about it or plan for it. Um, and then once the Cocktails to Go started, it was, like, we kind of got reinvigorated and we were like, okay, let's, like, let's do our favorites, let's do the hits that we had before. Um, and it was really exciting to see people order them and prepare them and figure out the packaging and now that we have the patio open, it's like that again, where it's like, oh, people are getting two drinks now. Like, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's so funny um, what's so exciting to you now. Uh, so it, it's great to, like, have the well open, have, like, the bartender making drinks to order, like, hearing the shaker tins, um, putting the drink to the window, like, actually presented uh it, it's great it's really fun and it's, and it's good to be able to incorporate that aspect of who we are since it is a fundamental part back into the identity and the experience mm-hmm. speaking of like the identity i know that we talked in in the first half with ben about like fostering company culture how does that sort of change when you know when the whole thing's sort of thrown into um into a shaker and mixed up and now you've got something completely different how do you guys hold on to to what you were anticipating building what you built in january well i do think that in some ways on one hand i feel like this presents an opportunity for business owners um to step up for their employees to you know create business models where they break even and create jobs and uh, really get into more of a like best for everyone attitude. And that was kind of like our motto in the very beginning was that we're always gonna do the best for the most. So I feel like we set that tone and now that we're in a situation where that's really gonna be tested, it's an opportunity for us to show that we mean it. and try to look out for everybody and try to spread the wealth honestly evenly so that everyone gets something um whatever we can whatever we have try to just kind of spread it around how do you Um, do you do that through like higher wages through health insurance how how does that work yeah we already had a health insurance system in place which had like just kicked in in march and what we did was um, when the pandemic hit, we just asked everybody that wasn't on healthcare yet if they wanted to be on healthcare, regardless if they were part-time prior or had declined prior. We wanted to make sure that everybody that wanted it in the middle of a pandemic, when you really need it most, um, would have that access. So we signed up a bunch of our employees that hadn't been previously on it. And we didn't ask anybody for any compensation for it. We had kind of like a free system in place, like they do at Giant, where like a part is from the customer and then a third is from us and then a third is from the contribution of the employee. And we just, we haven't asked for that because people don't really have it. And um, we just, we're just gonna try to get as far as we can and raise as much money as we can so that we can continue that program. And now we have, you know, more diners, so we have the ability to have that service feedback on the tabs, which helps compensate. Um, we're testing out like a higher hourly wage for right now for everybody. Um, also with like a, a service charge on the tabs on the patio. 
to see how that works just because we want to be able to guarantee people a certain amount when they come in. So tell us a little bit about that. So you charge one service charge to all to-go orders. Like it's So you always have charged an additional service charge to help cover some health insurance, it sounds like, right? What was that fee before? Uh, the same before as it is now. So for all of the takeout and what it used to be for like every part of the restaurant when we opened was 3%. And that just goes towards a healthcare contribution. Mm-hmm. Now and- to guarantee a higher wage for the employees, uh, we put on a service fee that's higher than that for just dine-in or patio mm-hmm. so that that can support that higher wage. Are you guys a tipping free establishment or do you, or you still have gratuity as well? Uh, if people want to leave additional, by all means, we don't mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I also understand if they see a 20% service charge and they feel like that's my contribution, you know, I think that's a personal choice for them to make. People mm-hmm. have been very generous and feeling generous for the ones that have a little extra to give out to the ones that don't. So we're really grateful for that. And, you know, I think all, all these systems are going to have to be reevaluated every month because everything's mm-hmm. changing a lot. And, yeah. and that's changing a lot and or doesn't get, you know, a second round. So... Yeah, again, just like another aspect of telling the staff, like, we have to reassess all the time. Yeah. That's for the most. So tell me, and you mentioned that, like, other fundraising to help support the healthcare um, initiative. I mean, I think it's really amazing that you guys are providing healthcare to all of your employees during this time, because as we know, it's it's a problem in the industry in general that right. people don't have healthcare during the good times. Um, is, is that something like through like a GoFundMe for the staff or PPP money? How have you been able to fund that? If you don't mind us asking, I think it could be helpful to other business owners. Um, I, part of it's definitely through the PPP money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is just because of our success early on. Um, mm-hmm. We had like a little wiggle room cash because we did so well for those first couple months that we could mm-hmm. kind of get going. And then definitely the service fee on the tabs now is helping to kind of sustain it. But we're we're thinking of other ways to enhance it even greater because it's like we haven't had a rainy day yet on the patio and that's going to have a, you know, if we have three rainy days in a row, that's going to have a really big impact. So those are all yeah, I was, we're trying to compensate for. Yeah, the rainy days in the summer. I mean, I was, I was going to ask that because I saw that you guys did have, I saw on your website that you're, you're like, well, you know, we only take a few reservations and we'll reschedule you. So I was curious how that's, how that's all worked out and if, if you've had to reschedule people and they've been understanding and whatnot. It hasn't happened yet, um, but it is something that, like, I've gone over with the other managers of, like, you know, we're only booking two weeks out. So like, here's the courtesy, like give them first priority. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny and difficult to navigate things that are completely out of your control from like a pandemic to the weather and then still find ways to be hospitable, you know, yeah. um, because everyone's kind of undergoing a stressful time and uh, a lot of anxiety and whatever we can do to be thoughtful to reduce that and create an experience that's a little bit of like uh, an escape from that is you know it's it's what we do so i think having a contingency plan uh i hope will work out well but we've been lucky and we haven't had we have an awning so it like missed it a little the other day but it wasn't a big deal we people outside 
I like need some mist. It's 98 degrees right now in New York yeah. City. I'd like that would feel so good. Oh my god! Yeah, you got to um, Jacob reads. <laughs> um, we do so appreciate it, and you know, I think it's a you know, I think this is going to be super helpful for everybody to hear all you supported your team. Um, just quickly before we run, is there anybody we always like to shout out opening soon? Um, so anybody in the Chicago area or friends, maybe elsewhere, you want to shout out who maybe have just opened or even reopened um i mean shout out definitely to all of my partners my brothers my uh my work husbands <laughs> uh tom aaron especially and then of course jv ben and josh because this has been a really tough time and it's definitely created stronger bonds for us um and then also i, I love me tokaya Anto Haria um, and Diana Davila in Logan Square. Uh, I think she's red. I think their place is red. They're doing a lot to stay afloat, and they're really delicious. So people should go there in Chicago as well. Cool. Um, and just a couple of opening soon announcements from our side. Atlanta now has a proper NYC style pie place called Glide Pizza from our friend Rob Birdsong, who is making his pandemic debut on the Beltline. So go and check them out. And then another big shout out to the Pink Dinghy, who um, our awesome intern McGill just went to see um, down in Virginia Beach, Virginia. They have been building for two years, had a car crash into their building during the building process, and now have a pandemic debut as well. So God bless. Um, all right. That's all for us. Can you tell everybody where to find you on social? Uh, chefspecialbar.com, uh, Chef Special Chicago on Instagram, and then I think we have a Facebook, but yeah, Facebook. <laughs> sure. but Facebook. <laughs> Thanks, right. Chase. You can find Thanks us so much. and follow us on uh, at Till at NYC and at We Are Opening Soon. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.